You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, the podcast. Hey, what's going on? We interrupt this broadcast. To bring you the Britflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast 2016. Welcome to the first Britflix Post Fright Fest Podcast. Please, can you introduce yourself? Um, hello, I'm uh, Sam Ashurst, and I directed Hell's Garden. It's a short film that played at Fright Fest this year. And that was in the third of the three short film programmes? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, it played on the same day as Nev's, actually, uh, who did Bricks, and I know you've had him on the podcast before. Um, Bricks was great. Um, but yeah, um, played on day three, and was very exciting. Uh, so before we go into the film itself, do you want to give us a quick... It's a two-minute film, so, we yes. don't know, so when I say... Can you give us a, a brief synopsis about <laughs> can can you even say what it's about as a synopsis it's quite tricky yeah um uh, basically uh, a woman helen uh is doing the washing up and she hears some noises coming from her garden and she investigates and uh, it goes from there and horror and shoes horror and shoes exactly um so um that played at Frankfest, and was that was that a world premiere then? I guess it was. Yeah, um, it was kind of um, quite a, a a fun journey, really, because um, I'd written a feature um, called "The Devil's Patient" earlier this year mm-hmm. um, that I kind of wrote to direct, basically. Yeah. Um, and because I haven't really directed uh, anything before, I've done a couple of. Um, comedy bits and pieces um, but nothing horror mm. um, I thought I'd better do a short to prove that I can do scary because so this is your first short? first short wow you didn't um, show off <laughs> first short and um, yeah um, the the main intention was really to make something really creepy and scary because the script Devil's Patient is, is the intention is to be really really scary so um yeah, I did the short, mainly as like a calling card to, mm. to show to people to say, you know, please let me make this movie, I can make movies. 
Um, and someone said, oh, you should, you should submit it to Fright Fest. Oh, okay. Um, so, so, so I did, and incredibly it got accepted. Yeah. And uh, I was sat there at the VU in Shepherd's Bush, and, you know, I've seen a lot of films and a lot of screens, but this one felt like the biggest screen I'd ever seen in my life. Um, and, yeah, watched it play out. It was quite an incredible experience. Now, it, it should point out for people... They don't know you. You, you, you. you write about films and you have them for a while. Yeah. So, so um, which is why you said you know you've watched plenty of films on plenty of screens and suddenly of course. yeah yeah you thought how's my film going to fill this? Yeah. I'm guessing. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how was that experience? How was I mean was that kind of was that was it meta? Was it out of body to see your film as opposed to go there to you know be judging yeah. jury on somebody else's film? It, it was yeah. <laughs> it was really really an out of body experience. Um, it was just so weird because obviously I'd been to all three days of the shorts because mm. um, you know the short film program this year at Fright Fest was astonishing mm. um, and my film accepted um, I, I actually you know I said in my intro on the third day that the films have been astonishing some of the best at Fright Fest this year mm as long as my film doesn't break that excellent run, you're in for a good time. So it's, I'm, not, I'm not showing off when I say, oh, I was part of this amazing thing. Yeah. I was quite overwhelmed to be there. But stuff like um, The Monster, um, which was another one of the British uh, entries, mm. um, of course, you know, the shorts came from all around the world. Like there was one from Korea, you know, Canada, there's one shot in Iceland but um, one of the, the other British ones The Monster is just it's really stayed with me I keep mm. thinking about it it's just so good um, it's directed by Bob Pipe um, and I won't spoil it but the basic setup is it's a world where it opens with uh, a monster chasing chasing a woman mm. um, and then the reveal is that it's, it's actually on a film set. And like this monster styled like the sort of 30s yeah. like creatures. And um, yeah, the big reveal is that it's on a film set. But then you find out that in this world, he is an actual monster who um, has been hired to the film to kind of save money on special effects because you can chuck an axe in his head and it won't really hurt him. You can put it out <laughs> and he'll heal. And it goes on from there. It's quite a long yeah. short, so that, that isn't too much of a spoiler. Um, but it's so beautifully acted and so beautifully put together. Um, so I was seeing stuff like that and going, oh, bloody hell, you know. I, I literally, we literally shot this film in three hours. Mm. You know, on a budget of favours, you know, in in well, that's, in that's, our before, garden. Before we get to shooting it, which is yeah, a good part of the story, but in terms of writing it, yeah. Now, I'm someone that writes screenplays mm -hmm. as well. Now, how do you write what that two peg that two minutes is? Mm -hmm. So you want so you kind of know what you're delivering. How did that look on the page to you? Well, um, okay, so. One of the interesting things that Nev said on um, on the podcast that you did with him mm. was how he sees shorts as being um, like jokes or, or poems, I think he said. Mm. And I actually come from a background of stand-up. Okay. Um, yeah, I did stand-up um, for, for a bit. Mm. And uh, I was... And it, it's still, it was still very influenced by horror. Um, like I did an interview with the 405 for 
like my first Edinburgh and they asked me what my influences were and I said horror films um, <laughs> and the, the the character that I played was this sort of serial killer slash maniac who did observational comedy and didn't realise that you know these experiences these very surreal violent experiences only oh. apply to him um, so yeah so so I, I've written jokes basically oh. and so this short had the structure of, of a joke really the set up and pay off okay. set up misdirect reveal mm. you know um and uh, i've been really overwhelmed by the reaction i mean it, it it won best scare um total films fright fest awards which uh which jamie does every year mm. um and you know uh people might think oh well you used to work at total films of course you won it but actually um that is kind of the opposite because you know it, it would make Jamie look bad if he oh, did. Oh yeah, 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 if, you know, yeah, yeah. Professionally, it's professionally, not, exactly. It's such um, a public event, and fright fest, fright festers are not backward at coming forward. No, exactly. <laughs> and 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 his awards have have grown into a big deal. I mean, people put them on. Like Nina Forever has has the fright fest award mm. on on the DVD box. Um, so people do you know care about it and they pay attention to it. And so I was unbelievably, you know, I was quite moved by the fact that you know oh. that it affected him like that so yeah it was it was um got the best scare and so it's just this incredible incredible experience to go from doing this this quick oh. thing to show that i can direct to actually playing at one of my favorite festivals and winning an award mm. you know just yeah quite incredible in the sense of showing you can direct what do you think you were able to show um, As a filmmaker, I, I think that I was able to show that um, I've got quite a strong vision that I can communicate, um, you know, communicate a lot of information in a short space of time, or, or at least get across an atmosphere mm. in a in a short space of time. No, I think man, that was that was the underlying point of my thing about what was on the page because I thought there was an efficiency to what you what we watch. Mm. That means I don't need well. There's no explanation really. Things just happen, don't mm-hmm. they? Yeah, exactly. And, and it escalates, and like you say, there's misdirect, and then there's boom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think you know. Um, it, I think they're, they're good performances, so I think it shows I can work with cast. Um, and and yeah, no, I'm 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 proud of it. And how well? How was that experience then? Did you say it shows you can work with with a cast? Yeah. Obviously, as a film journalist, you've been on sets. And spoken to people left, right, and centre. Mm-hmm. You know, you're kind of, you're you're kind of when you do that, you're one of them. You're just someone sat there, and you there's time to talk, and, mm-hmm. and you talk. Yeah. But whereas when you're on set and you're making a movie, you're on the same clock as them. Absolutely. Well, um, I was very lucky to have um, uh, Katie Sheridan and Nick Helm mm. uh, are the are the main two. Um, mm. I don't want to say too much more than that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Katie Sheridan and Nick Helm. Um, Nick, I knew from when I did stand-up. Okay. Um, and we actually did a, a, a pilot um, last year together, a film-related thing. Yeah. Um, that didn't end up moving forward. But through through that, um, I met Al Clayton, who's from Tell Canyon Comedy, who also helped out on the short. But we'll, we'll get to him in a minute. You asked the question about the cast. Mm. Um, Katie Sheridan, 
is is a pal of of Al's basically, okay. um, and you know she's an accomplished actress in her, her own right, um, and so yeah, it's pretty. You're right. I am used to being on film sets and and interviewing people. I'm not used to being the person in the centre, but um, who's sort of directing everything, um, literally. But I I I loved it. I loved giving little directions mm. to because because Nick. Hopefully, you won't mind me saying this. Um, there, there's a there's a shot where he kind of turns, and initially, because he's from a comedy background, there was it was kind of a little bit funny, kind mm. of. Um, and I just said, you know, can you can you do that again, but just be less charming, and um, and kind of yeah, he, he got it straight away, and mm. he is an incredible actor. Mm. He's an incredible actor. I think people think with Nick. Um, you know, they see him an uncle and they think that, yo, that's who he is. You know, he doesn't have to act. He just, you know, stands in front of a camera and speaks. But yeah. he is completely different to that character and he has so much range. Um, so it's really exciting to work with him. And Katie was just, you know, she's done loads of stuff herself. So she was just completely professional got everything one take one take one take mm. um which was essential because we literally had three hours to film so you know it was like it was when you watch it it's kind of this well, spoiler is hopefully it's like the film's orbiting her yeah there's kind of over here there's this over there there's that yeah and and there's innocent her accruing horror without really appreciating what's happening to her isn't it really? exactly and 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 I, I wanted it to um I wonder how much to get into spoilers here. I might I might do a little bit of a spoiler. Mm-hmm. Um I wanted it to be on the camera to be on her back, um, for kind of psychological reasons. Which is that um when we're watching a film we're looking for faces, we're looking for, you know, someone to identify with and, yeah. and when we see that, you know, when we see their emotions. Leading the way. Yeah, when we see the emotions <laughs> we we relax type yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so I kind of wanted to stay on her back and follow her around throughout. Mm. Um and then at a pivotal moment you see her face. Mm. And then you're busy looking at her face and maybe relaxing a bit, finally we see her face mm. and then maybe something happens. Yeah, um yeah. Uh, to hopefully, you know, in that short space of time, intensify the the reaction to that moment. Um, but Katie, like, I mean, you've seen the short. She she emotes. You can see her reactions when you can't see her face. Like, yeah, no, you know, powerful. yeah. So um, she was she was absolutely fantastic to work with. Um, it was just you know, overwhelming and and all the rest of it. So was I mean, given given. You shot. You shot in a house, obviously mm-hmm. not a studio. So it's a location as such. Um, and um, was did you did you write with that? I mean, that in mind, or would they, that just come? That be, just become good fortune? Um, yeah, no. It was very much written with that in mind. Um, it was written with that room in mind, and um, I met with the DOP, um, David Marshall, um, mm-hmm. and and with David. He directed um, a, lo- a lot of like um, like he'd worked with bands quite a lot and okay. directed a lot of music stuff, but he hadn't done any sort of fictional stuff at, at that so point. Not any narrative stuff. Exactly, no narrative stuff. So um, 
I mean, he has kind of done narrative stuff in that he edits for Comedy Central and um, he's he won a couple of awards this year because he put together, I don't know if you've seen it, but the the advert for Malcolm in the Middle, that um, it, it it's like Walter White has gone into witness protection. So he's re-edited it to tight. <laughs> it's brilliant. And he, he's won a couple of like major advertising awards for that. Um, so again, very, very lucky to work with him. And yeah, you know, I had a very clear vision in my head. We went in the room, we saw what we could do with mm. this space. Um, and um, I storyboarded it as well, actually, which really helped do it all in three hours because it was literally, we need to get this, 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 and this, and then we're done. So what, would you, what was your questions for him as the DLP? When, uh, when you when giving you at the storyboard, yeah. What then was your what 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 was your question like? What can we do? Or I want this. How do we do? Well, it's you know it was it was. Um, I want this dolly. How you know? Can you can you do that? <laughs> um, you know, uh, how's that camera? You know, how's that shot going to look like? Look if we shoot it through the the kitchen door rather than standing outside in mm. the garden because you know. Yeah, it was very simple things like that. It was basically, here's my storyboards. How can we recreate these exactly? Mm. Um, and the storyboarding process was very interesting because I hadn't storyboarded before purely because I'm not a very good artist. And I know everyone says, oh, yeah, you just do stick figures. It doesn't matter. Well, it matters to me. Like, I, I'm, if I can't do something well, I won't do it. Um, so I kind of avoided storyboarding but I'm like oh man I really have to do it for this one because mm. you know it's so limited and you know I know what I want um, so yeah so I did it and I'm so glad I'm so glad that I did it mm. because um, those storyboards it was like I don't know projecting something from my mind onto the page and then having it appear in film I know mm. that sounds like quite a simple obvious thing but it was an amazing feeling. Like, there's a couple of storyboards where it's exactly, like, even the distance, everything. Um, so, so yeah, I've forgotten what your original question was because I started waffling about storyboards, but... No, it was, it was the questions for... Oh, that, working with the DOP, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, getting his ideas and um, what, what was possible in the space. Yeah. Um, because I, I originally wanted it to be, you know... Um, a bit more Kubrickian, um, okay. but it just wasn't possible in the space. So it's finding a what middle was ground. It? What, what Kubrickian thing did you want? What I wanted it? it to be more centralised. Oh, right, okay. yeah, so yeah. it's the whole centralised thing. Okay. Exactly. Um, and I, I also kind of wanted there to be no edits as well um, at, at, at a certain point, up to a okay. certain point. Right. Um, I wanted to. And then, you know, there was one shot in in the short that he threw in um, that I, I, again, it's basically, I wanted it to stay in the kitchen as for the... Yeah, because you, you, you were working about, for the, what, for about, the, about the whole 10 thing. square metres, I think, really, exactly. in terms of the camera's view. Basically, I wanted it to stay in the kitchen the whole time. I wanted oh. the camera to, like you say, to move oh. with her and be centralised as much as possible, mm. but... In reality, you know, that's 
quite difficult. And so there's, there's two really nice bits. There's not more than two nice bits, but there's two, <laughs> there's two nice bits. In terms it's of only what, two minutes long. It's all right. <laughs> I'll take two nice bits. <laughs> but the, the 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 kind of what's happening outside yeah. that catches her eye. Mm. There's the there's the beautiful um, almost like backlit. We can see the thing in the distance. Yes. And then there's the use of, and I guess that's your trickery. Then there's the garden light comes on, which I guess it was was that the ambient light that was available, or was that was that your lighting? That oh. was um, yeah. See, yeah, I love all this stuff. Um, it very much looks like she clicks the thing yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and the outdoor. Yeah, yeah, the outdoor yeah. light comes on. Yeah, no, there wasn't an outdoor light, and those are big lights in the really? garden that we had to set up and hide and, and right. all the rest of yes, it yes, so yes, yeah. um, Al, Al not only provided the actress he also provided lights from Turtle Canyon Comedy okay. very graciously and operated them even though he's a director in his own yeah, right yeah, yeah. and I felt a bit like yeah I felt very weird about asking him to, to do the lights but because we're pals but it, but, the, but the, the, the original like lit from a Lit from below, or just just an angle that's uplit. In the first instance, mm. you you get a real sense of there's there's a false sense of distance mm -hmm. that's given because mm. it's just between that mm. and where she's looking. Mm -hmm. It's dark. Mm. Yeah, and uh, he's doing an activity which I won't spoil. Um, and then suddenly the light's gone. And then suddenly it becomes oh. Yeah, we're in a, it's just the garden we're looking out on because you could yeah. you could argue that she could be looking into like down down a harbour down whatever you know exactly it, it yeah a, I know it's a house but no no absolutely point, yeah you don't know the you don't know what's out that window yeah exactly um, and and I kind of love that I, I I love that idea that you know what is he doing why is he doing that mm. and then you've got the reveal and maybe maybe you think that's it and then and then it escalates something else and it escalates mm. something else so um, yeah and music musically what's going on there is sort of incongruous with the action yeah it's like uh, almost like a, like a vaudeville type uh... yeah exactly um, I, I, and again I really like that you know um, I wanted I guess I wanted to have a presence mm. because it was supposed to be a calling card mm. and not even necessarily a short film in a way um, I mean obviously it is a short film but mm. it was really just intended to be sent to people mm. not necessarily shown at a festival yeah um, but yeah I just wanted to have that presence in there like I'm showing you these things and I've, I've chosen mm. this music because you know I'm the, uh, the the ringmaster type thing, and yeah. this is unfolding in front of you. Mm. And and what's lovely about the music, um, my friend Lottie, who who goes by the name Depressedable, um, we work quite closely on the music together. Mm. Um, I initially sent her the Rosemary's Baby theme, oh, and okay. I was like, oh, you know, can 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 you do it like that for the opening credits and. Um, I think she did a great job of, you know, that kind of childlike, creepy. Mm. Um, and yeah, then, it's, it's kind of like it's, it's like a cartoon, creepy. It's definitely not. It's not fun, but it's it's smirking at you. Exactly. Isn't it? As, a, as a sound. Exactly. Film. That's exactly it. It's it, it's playful. Mm. Um, and and I I kind of love the idea as well that the music. I really don't want to get too into spoilers again, but the music is connected to the film and the way it ends 
in a kind of different way for me. Hopefully when people get to see it, um, they'll know what I mean by that. But um, Well, you play, I mean, the other thing is you play, you play with colour mm-hmm. in, a very, in a very real sense. Mm-hmm. You know, the title card comes up, mm-hmm. the title of the film and everything, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Did you do that? that dis- yeah, a couple of people have asked me that. I really, really, really wish I was that talented, but I'm not. <laughs> um, that was um, uh, another friend, Felicity Marshall, okay. um, who actually does a lot of clothes design stuff. Okay. Um, so she's really good at that, that kind of, you know, that kind of repeated pattern. Yeah, um, it looks. Do you know? It looks. It could. It could be. Give uh, listeners benefit for listeners. We were talking about tattoos before we started. Yeah, yeah. It could be like a kind of here's here's your uh, easy flash. Yeah. Two flashes. Because yeah. it's the, it's the upside yeah, yeah. down and like, right crosses that, on, that, on that, that catch on my that. eye when I first because I've watched yes. it a number of times and like when you watch, when you, you're looking at it and you look for something else and I, I think the striking thing for me was the the upside down and right way round crosses yeah exactly uh, and that that the, the the idea of like on the 13th um, it's 13th of October they do the unlucky flash uh, where you can get of course yes sorry I've forgotten yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, the unlucky tattoos for like quite quite cheap or something but then you flip from that beautifully brightly coloured like a macabre Laura Ashley for <laughs> if we can go there a top shot but yeah <laughs> <Top> shot. <laughs> and then and then it goes then it goes into monochrome yes now monochrome was that was that to save yourself was that a conscious thing on saving yourself production values or or was that something you when you were writing it on the page you saw you saw the monochrome from the get-go. Okay, so the the monochrome is interesting um, because it was shot in colour. It was going to be graded in a different way. And um, I sat with David in the edit. And um, like I said before, David is an incredible editor and there's lots of hidden edits in, in, the, in the short, you know, hmm. all two minutes of it. Um, you know, he, he was amazing in that process. The one thing that, you know, he was a tiny bit resistant to was the idea of putting it into monochrome because quite rightly as a DOP, if we wanted to do it like that, we should have shot it like that. Okay. But we were going through the filters <laughs> and um, I said, oh, can you, can you try that? And he's like, oh, yeah, we tried it. And I just loved the way it looked so much. Um, I, I'm a... Uh, big fan of Carnival of Souls and there's a bit of Carnival of Souls to the short I think mm. um, and so that really brought that out of it um, and, and and yeah he, I mean to, to David's you know he was great to work with and uh, that minor resistance aside as soon as it was clear that mm. I really really love the way this looks and, and it's interesting partly it was production values as well mm. um, because the minute you put it into that, you know, there was some stuff that I tried to do with colour that just wasn't wasn't right. Mm. Um, yeah, God, it would be really interesting if anyone ever saw the colour version of it. Well, no, um, bring, I mean, you know, I've, I've I've been in that kitchen, you've shot it, so yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's that idea. But but it was lit in a very specific way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that and it didn't work for me. Like, I like the idea of it, but in reality, it just didn't look right. So the monochrome completely got rid of that as well. Well, no, also, I mean, in, in, the, in, the, in the fag end of the film, mm. there's something going on with the, 
with the way the monochrome works. Yes. That makes it then feel like we're going, we've gone otherworldly. Well, yes. Yeah. Exactly. That, yeah. The yeah. way that the, the the sort of screen sort of yes almost it, vibrates, doesn't it? In yeah. In terms of what you're watching. Exactly. Before uh, and it, it yeah it 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 had a feel that it's like another film a, a Japanese film that I won't name but yes yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I I love the monochrome, but it definitely wasn't it wasn't planned like that. But then you know my influences are a mixture of like I love horror films from the sixties and you know um, you know seventies as well. Um, I mean, what what were you what were you? I mean, with it being a calling card, mm -hmm. you trying to obviously there's the there's the kind of just simple. I've got competence to be a director, which is a different challenge than. I've got to make this film. Yes. Because it's kind of like you want two for one there, don't you, really? Yeah, yeah. You're looking, you're looking to sort of this feature film script you've written, you're hoping that as a result of this short film you've made, you can carry on, a, you can make a bigger conversation and a push. I mean, interestingly, Nev talked about, he went, he went the other, he, he tried the other way around, didn't mm. he? And found the question he got asked is, well, what can you do? Show us what you can do. And yeah. that pushed him to uh, make the short film so there's a lot of logic to it for sure because people believe their eyes when it comes to film not surprisingly mm. and people and, and what their eyes want is results that appeal to them isn't it it's not it's not just a case of saying you know, oh I promise I can make a film yeah like I've watched <coughs> I've watched loads of films yeah, you know I, I know how to do it um, no no it's exactly that and, and, and also there was a little bit of it where I've wanted to be a director all of my life. Mm. Um, I've just all your life. Uh, just all my life. <laughs> I've wanted, also wanted to live in New York all of my life. Okay. Right? And um, that comes from quite a long backstory. But basically, um, I've wanted to live in New York all my life, but I'd never been until last year. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um, had, London, had London prepared you for New York, do you think? i tell you what. London, New York is basically London with all of the nice people removed and I visited and I hated it I absolutely hate New oh York oh my word yeah yeah um, and I know that's a, <laughs> uh, it wasn't always thus you know a contentious thing to say I was lucky enough to go in 95 yeah and it was still it was still funky yeah very expression yeah um, it was it was definitely funky but Probably in a different way. I think um, if we fast forward fifteen years from now, London might have had its nice people removed. Yeah. But the rate of change we've got at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, think, I think Manhattan is so containable as a place. Yeah. To go, okay, we're just going to price everybody that can't afford. Yeah, exactly. We're make everything as nice as possible, so therefore. Exactly. So, um, so what if? being a director was like living in New York what if I tried it and actually I don't really like this you oh, know okay. I see your logic then. so um, so uh, and, and, and luckily it was the opposite situation I was like how can I just do this all the time you really? know I loved it what aspect it's what aspect did, that you, I guess what mystery of it from being the outside looking in yes was revealed to you from suddenly being at the centre where everyone's looking at you? Um, it was <clears throat> the, the the thing that I had absolutely no idea about was the very specific adrenaline spike. Um, how pure excitement, it's, it's the purest version of 
the creative process I think I've ever experienced. I've done lots of different things. I've done stand up, for example, mm. where um, you know you, you, and you, you, you and a mic, you and a mic and an audience. Um, I do think it's a myth that it's you and a mic and a hostile audience because you know, they wouldn't be there. They're there to laugh. So as long as you help them, then it's all right. Yeah, yeah, you'll get, you might get one. Um, so, yeah, um, that that situation uh, definitely gives you an adrenaline spike. But directing is kind of uh, completely different because, you know, when you sit in a room with, with mates and, like, you have an idea and, like, you start to sort of chat about it and yes. one of your mates has another idea and it makes the idea better and that's a really exciting lovely feeling mm. directing is like the ultimate version of that where <laughs> you know you've, you've created this thing yeah. you want to make it real and everyone involved has read the script so they like the script they've got their own thoughts on it and it's it's all of you coming together in in an instant mm. moment to moment you know slightly adjusting something moving something mm. saying something that changes something and it's just yeah so thrilling and I think you know partly maybe that's the fact that we did do it in three hours um, you know maybe I'll just have to shoot everything in three hours from now on but um... what, 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 what was the logic of the, what was the purpose or the reason for um this three-hour time. Right, okay, so the the mythological version, the lie, would be that um, it was uh, the night of the, the solstice in March and uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to shoot it all on the night of the solstice to bring that sort of pagan magical feeling to it. <laughs> the truth is Nick is a very busy man, as everybody on that film is very busy, but um, Nick specifically that night had somewhere that he had to be um, and so, um, and you know, uh, he found out about it slightly late on, and so I found out about it slightly late on. Um, so it's like, right, okay, we've got all these people here, we've got to do this now, mm. so let's just do it. And, um, you know, thank goodness for those storyboards because uh, we were literally able to go shot by shot by shot. points of view or, or mm. over a shoulder at what she's doing mm. as if to say we're in the room with her mm-hmm. or is there something else there so yes. we, we as media savvy watchers don't yes. know whether or not we're just given a privileged view yes or we're meant to worry about what's behind her yes Stuart thank you I'm so glad that um yeah because I, I I did wonder if people would connect with that but yeah that was definitely an element to it because she's washing pots she's doing a very banal thing so, yeah. so you're kind of going well what are we watching and doing? Yeah. your brain's going why am I watching a woman just put a plate in a, dry, in a exactly. dry, yeah, draining yeah. tray and, yeah. then, and then she goes oh man, what's that and yeah. then obviously yeah. we start to unfold the, the, what, what becomes the horror content exactly yeah, no, it's, it's, an, it's a really simple I mean it's simple because it's happening and it's effective but it, it, it's, I forget how simple that, that trick is of watching someone from a different angle uh-huh. creates a power perspective that you're not sure whether or not it is somebody or it's just the camera giving us... Exactly. And, and yeah, you know, 
I, I love I love music videos that that stay on people's backs. After I made the short, mm. I went to see Son of Saul. Oh, um, have, have you seen that yet? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. and so I was like, oh, you know, mm. they also like people's backs. You know, there's mm. a lot of. It's very similar, actually. Um, but I've never thought about what you said before, which is the idea it's not until someone turns around that we know what to think. Exactly. It's weird how much we're having to work for the work for our corn while we're watching when you're not allowed to see the face. I know, I know obviously slasher films and stuff hide people. Yeah. Or, or just show, you know, shallow classically, obviously with the leather glove and whatever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you're having to sort of go, are we, we going to see something? So you, you're kind of watching, going, what are you going to show us? Exactly. Like, almost like nervous eyes. And, and obviously, we know we're watching a horror film, so therefore, you've already geared us up, and obviously you were part of a short film programme, so people are watching your movie. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I think that is a big part of... I'm really proud that, you know, people have said how creepy it is and how it unnerved them, and they couldn't quite... You know, it's such a mm. short space of time to build atmosphere. Mm. And I, I think a big chunk of it is that decision to stay on the back and... Mm. Um, and it, it was always envisioned like that, um, like I say, for those psychological reasons. I mean, I've always thought about that kind of stuff, even in my comedy. The reason I did this this maniac character is I read um, I read a piece about um, it, was, it was in a book about about comedy, about the history of comedy, and um, they said that the 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 laughter impulse started like in caveman days when. Um, someone would see something that, that they weren't expecting that surprised them mm. and they'd make the laughter sound to warn people that, you know, there was something unusual, potentially dangerous. Right. And so I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. You know, like the fear, the fear impulse is linked to the laughter impulse. What if I just go in there and make people feel as uncomfortable as possible? Will they laugh? And yeah, as, yeah, it, yeah. as it turns out, they, they did laugh. Um, and I was, I was lucky enough... Um, in 2012, um, I made it to the final of the Leicester Square New Comedian of the Year Award, yeah. um, which was another amazing experience, like performing at the Leicester Square Theatre to like 400 people and uh, doing my weird my weird comedy. Um, was this still doing the horror character? Type? Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, it was the horror character. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, no. Um, how, how much of what you were learning there in terms of performance and... I'm guessing, as well as delivering gags, you were yeah. you were understanding sort of drama that you were creating as well. Absolutely. The, there's the lulls and then there's the peaks. Completely. A- absolutely. How much does that come into your writing now as you're trying to imagine what's going on in your head to go out into on the screen? Um, it, it's it's very interesting because um, you learn about acting, you know. Because I was playing a character, and you kind of learn how intonation can make such a huge difference. The way you say something hmm. often means more than what you're actually saying in a weird kind of way. I think Hitler made a big deal of that. Didn't oh, did he? <laughs> <laughs> not uh, what we've we've hit not God. What you say how you say. We've hit Godwin's law of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so yeah, um, me and Hitler. Um, to to the greatest stand ups of all time. Um, <laughs> Sorry to derail you there. Go on, no, no, it's fine. Um, but yeah, and and so it's it's 
a you learn about the the pressures of performing um you know so hopefully i can be a bit more sympathetic to my actors um and and b you know you learn about variation and 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 how important it is to keep trying stuff out until you hit that right intonation that feels right and gets the reaction you want mm. so it's not about when i wrote those jokes i had a fixed idea of how it should be delivered yeah. but live sometimes the joke didn't work if i said it a certain way but if i try a different way mm. then it gets the reaction yeah, yeah. so i'm not as married to my scripts maybe and i'm more willing to you know have actors contribute their own takes i guess you've literally lived the idea of writing is rewriting because if you're yeah exactly if you're if you've imagined yeah that i go yes this is my gag and then you realize you just go got the better laugh exactly you know, that. you're gonna go with the what's the better laugh aren't you you're not gonna exactly. carry on going rah, 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 exactly laugh at me because i'm doing this how i want exactly that <laughs> it's it's an in you write something and you get an instant reaction to it and it's from strangers it's not your mum saying oh I really like that piece even though I do value your opinion mum um, she will be listening to this and she will be upset about the Hitler comparison but that's fine <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah um, it, it's getting that live response from, from strangers and, um, and, and re, remodelling everything around that um, now you said, you've said you've done a feature script Yes. Um, what can you t- what can you tell us about that? Can you give us anything about that? Is that or is that all secret? Uh, no, I don't think it's secret. I mean, if anyone wants to rip it off, then more power to them. Um, it's called. Uh, please don't rip it off. <laughs> Have your own ideas. Um, it's called. It's called the Devil's Patient, and um, it's uh, it's a really, really, really scary film about uh, a nurse who gets slowly possessed by a demon that's trapped inside a coma patient. So If we leave it there... Then that's then that's the high concept. If someone was to rip you off at that point, then they've, they've gone... They've, they've done some work. They've, yeah. they've had to have done some work. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, thinking about that, being, obviously, you're writing, you're writing a, a two-minute short is a very different discipline than writing a, a stand-up routine. It's a very different discipline than writing a feature film. Yeah. So, from your, from your writing habit point of view... Are you are you an up with the larks? Are you a midnight oil man? Are you nine to five man? What, what what's your what's your kind of in an ideal world? I'm not saying because we don't live in one, but in an ideal world, if someone give you a straight run of four weeks to write, that's a um, lov- that's a lovely question. Um, I write at night, um, not for work because that's not really possible, um, hmm. but. Um, when I'm doing something creative for myself, um, I write at night, um, normally to about two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning. Mm. And um, because, you know, I'm someone who gets very distracted by noise when I'm writing. Not, not at any other time, really, but when I'm writing, um, I like to have as quiet a space as possible. So it's best to write when everyone else is asleep. There's an amazing silence, isn't there? I've worked at that time. So about yeah. past one. Yeah. Certainly in a kind of, obviously not Soho scenario, mm. that doesn't happen, but in a, in a places that are away from that kind of world, there is an amazing silence that suddenly, you, when you're aware of it, it you couldn't realise, actually, yeah, I'm in a... It's beautiful. It's like you're the only person in yeah. the world and you can really focus I'm on... I'm in a velvet office. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's lovely. It's lovely. So, yeah, that, that, that's, that's when I write. So how, how do you approach it then? What's your, what, what's your kind of... 
What's your method to the madness of trying to make a feature script? Are you are you a start on page one and see where it takes you? Are you coming up with a high concept and going, right, how does that brainstorm out? Are you outlining, you know, what's what's your what's your approach okay. in that sense to so, building what was it called again, sorry? Uh, the Devil's Patient. So, yeah. Uh, what was your what was your approach to building Devil's Patient from that concept to ninety odd pages? So um I I write a list a list of scenes okay. let me say that again I write a list of scenes mm-hmm. um, basically like 90 moments okay because um, I figure you know if you've got 90 moments then you've probably got around 90 minutes um, and then I do what is known as it's very dogmatic thank you <laughs> um I uh, I take that as a compliment. Um, no, I like no, I like I like dogmatic, dogmatism in, in in creative approaches. Yeah, it's, it's kind of trust the process and it will come. Exactly, <laughs> and the thing is, with with those ninety moments, um, whether or not they end up in the film is kind of by the by. Yeah, like you know, you you write an opening image or something, or you write. Um, a, a, a scary scene and, and you kind of with certain bits you're like oh I love that mm. you know and, th- and then those generally definitely stay in but um, then it's the what is known as the vomit draft um, for me that's my approach I mean that is a term that, that's recognised in the in the screenwriting industry do you, do you, industry. Do you, those, 90, those 90 ideas are you are you compiling those in a story order, are you? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, yeah, uh, but but sometimes, um, oh, thank you. But sometimes I, you know, I will reorder and stuff. But okay, okay. But but yeah, generally it's 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 start to finish. Then I do the vomit draft, which is um, just you write and write and write until don't you, look back. Till you don't hit, look back. Till you hit the last page, exactly. <laughs> um, and then, um, and then it's it's the process of redrafting, but. Um, I tend to write quite quickly. So Devil's Patient was written in six weeks. Um, and, um, I don't want to pat us both on the back here, but they do say mm. that journalists make good screenwriters. Oh, is that right? Yes, lawyers and journalists, apparently. Oh, is that right? That's yeah, interesting. Because we're, 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 we're schooled just as part of our discipline to be brief and efficient. Exactly. So screenplays demand the idea of trying to describe something in one or two sentences and structure as well yeah and then structure is like where's it all falling how's it all are we building to a point are we are we just now filling in the detail and stuff it's like I'm not this isn't to say I'm a good screenwriter by any stretch of imagination but I like the idea that just, yes that I'm, I've at least got some confidence going into the game absolutely <laughs> and, and and actually funnily enough my approach to journalism um, has been influenced by like the the kind of film study stuff that I've done in that I love my pieces to have a circular narrative so whether I'm writing a review or whether I'm writing a feature or whatever mm. I'll always the end will always be connected to the intro um yeah so um I love structure I really love structure so that's part of where the you know writing the 90 90 moments or you know ideas because it's not like you know I'm not kind of not wedded to that and and there's the cliche which is true of the characters taking over and saying something that you're not expecting them to say you know lots of screenwriters say this but 
but it's it's weird when it happens to you and 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 really fun and sometimes it it fucks you a bit because you're like oh okay they've said that so that means that I have to do this how am I going to do this so a- anyway um, the weirder one is where you try and make them say something <laughs> and, and you're going they wouldn't say that yeah yes but but they need yes. to say it they go but they wouldn't say it and you should have an argument about exactly. And- <laughs> You you always know when it feels wrong. It's no, yeah, yeah, so yeah. weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's come from you. But anyway, um, yeah, no, I, I I love that that whole structure. Do you, do you have do you have like a trusted source of um, peers that you then give the draft after the vomit draft to 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 give feedback on or um, do you go out and buy feedback or I buy I bought feedback mm-hmm. um, because um, you know we're both lucky enough to have friends in the industry mm. um, but I find it quite difficult to say to a friend you do this professionally could you do this for free mm. so um, I paid I paid a friend to, to to read it and and got some great feedback and some really useful notes what value do for those people that don't know don't appreciate this part of the process yeah because it is the idea that you're the screenwriter mm. is is this idea that you hold the vision, but actually a screenplay is a very malleable thing. And even when oh, yes. even when a film's fully funded and you you've you've got cameras on set, people are still changing it. So yeah. it's a very malleable thing. But in that in that kind of development process, it's it's most malleable. Yeah. So what is what value do you think was added by getting those notes from that third party that had no skin in the game, as it were? Yeah, but you're going. I value what you think about things. Yeah. So tell me what's strong and weak about this. Yeah. Well, um, I, 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 I will name I will name her um, because you know uh, it was Jen Handorf who we who we both know who mm. is who is an, an absolute genius. Twice um, guest on the podcast, so you know, she's a veteran. Of the, yeah. Of the Brickflips podcast. Exactly. Exactly. So um, so Jen. Um, when you talk about value, I don't, I don't know what price I can put on, <laughs> on how much value I got from that because she is, she's a, a, an actual genius. So um, she gave me obviously fantastic notes, um, and and she said that she liked the script and that you know to come back to her if I'm ever in a position mm. to make it because she if she's available she'd like to produce it. Um, so yeah, talk about value. Um, you know, I've got but nothing, nothing, nothing but respect for Jen. So. But there's something in there in the in in the fact that a screenplay can be a strong idea, can yeah. be a good story, yeah. but it can be maybe not as effective on the page. So there's like the bones are there, aren't they? And then, Absolutely, and, then and it becomes like, how do you make this live up to its potential? Completely, exactly. Yeah. And so um, uh, with Jen, you know, she's made many. Films um, and um, first time she came on here was to talk about the Borderlands, which which I love, mm. um, which is you know yeah it's it's a fantastic film and and the thing is I I, I don't know I don't know if there are any screenwriters who uh, I, I can only talk about my own experience and mm. I all I want is for the film to be as good as it can possibly be so I'm not wedded to anything yeah and if someone says to me oh that doesn't really work or why don't you try doing it like that? I'm like, yes, thank you. You know, mm. the last thing I want to hear is this script is perfect because there's no way it's perfect. You no. know, 
You know, our own natural insecurities would doubt that assurance, wouldn't it? Exactly. Yeah, your grandma um, can say that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, uh, for, for me, the script isn't finished until, you know, until it's, it's locked because things will change in the edit. Actors mm. will add things, you know. A uh, producer might want something, and as far as I'm concerned, everything on the road to to getting the best possible movie made. Mm. You know, I'm I'm all for it. Controversially, well, look, imagine that. No, no, no. <laughs> I think I'm all for that myself. But yeah. I, I would ask you a lot more questions about this, but I think it, it it'd be wiser to save that for the time when we're talking about the film, as in, well, as in yeah. Let's hope script. so. Yeah, yeah. But no, no. Only because it's it's there's there's things about like storytelling challenges and things like that which mm-hmm. I think that will emerge further down the line as you as you develop it whoever, yeah whoever absolutely the film with yeah yeah so let's let's um, we've, we've, we've definitely digressed now from Mel's Garden so we'll we'll uh, we'll give we'll have our little moment here to have a little bit of a loving with a with a horror filmmaker yes he's not a friend of ours but we're a friend of his yes exactly so um, just to put this into context um, at Fright Fest um this year, 31, uh, Rob Zombie's new film played. And I didn't actually see it because um, I, uh, I I ended up kind of um, getting to know Jackson Stewart, um, who directed Beyond the Gates. Did you yeah, see Beyond I the Gates at Fright see, Fest? I did see what did you think of it? I thought it was very good. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Um, and and I, want the, I, want, I can't pronounce his name, but I want, I want the guy that did the soundtrack to... Yes. Come and make music for me. Yeah. God, yeah. So, um, so actually, this is kind of connected to Hell's Garden in that I met him at the Fright Fest party um, uh, initially, and I was pre Wednesday night thing. Is that the um, yeah the uh, yeah the karaoke? The, the, no, sorry, it was it was on the Thursday night. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I was introduced to him as oh, you know, this is Sam. He's directed one of the shorts that's in the program. Mm. And we were chatting away, and um, I slipped into journalist mode. And I said to him, "Oh, you know, I know." <laughs> and uh, and I asked him, you know, one of my one of my journalist questions, which is, "Oh, what would be your absolute dream project? What would you love to work on?" And he answered me and gave me a, a, a great answer. And um, and then he turned to me and he said, "Oh, how about you? What would yours be?" And oh. I was like. Oh my god! No one's ever the shoe. <laughs> yeah. How did that happen? How did that no happen? one's ever asked me that before, and so I had a moment, and uh, and then and then told him, and and anyway, we we had a very similar outlook. Like, what was your answer? I can't um, count that. Goodbye. <laughs> um, I, I basically I would love to do a, a DC movie. Um, oh. uh, you know, I'm kind of obsessed with uh, the whole DC universe. Right. I mean, my my dream would be. Um, the, so DC has a thing called the multiverse where there's lots of different versions of all the heroes um, mm. and what I'd love um, Warner Brothers to do uh, would be to commission uh, a green light a whole load of Batman movies from lots of different directors mm. so rather than just having the main one I'd want Quentin Tarantino's Batman I'd want you know Lars von Trier's Batman and I'd want to do Sam Asher's Batman that's my dream project um, which will never happen but you I know was, if we're going to go for a dream let's I go for listen, a dream I don't know if you've listened to the Nerdist podcast with Matt Brook, Max Brooks no. who wrote the original book that became World War Z yeah yeah him and the Nerdist you know, do you know the Nerdist I do yeah, yeah, yeah. so they were talking about Dark Knight, yeah, and they were talking about having 
different versions of Dark Knight. So they were going, ah. they were going. Why is nobody doing the Clint Eastwood Dark Knight? Exactly. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> this is so it. So you play it like he's Clint Eastwood now, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And like, and I was that was frying my brain listening to. It. I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the thing, like you can do so much with it and, and people have. Um there's um there's been so many uh different Batman comic book brands even. Mm. Um like Legends of the Dark Knight is is a really underrated um series of comics where, you know, people are basically allowed to do whatever they want with him. So if they were to apply that to the films, and uh, you know, imagine you know, maybe some people might get bored with this. I wouldn't. If you know, in the summer of twenty twenty three, there were seven Batman movies coming out, all by different directors. I'd like, yes, please bring it on. But anyway, um, I, I I got to know Jackson, and um, he's a really lovely guy. And obviously, saw his film and absolutely loved it. I think it's really, um, you know, it's it's uh, Fulci playing Jumanji basically, and really with a really warm heart. I had this really funny experience watching it mm. because of obviously Barbara Crampton. Yes. The first time she How comes, good is she, by the way? When she first comes on screen with her sat where they first start playing the board game, I mean, yeah. for those if those that didn't see me review on the Ripley's website, it's they find that they're going to two estranged brothers are closing a mom and pop video store, VHS store, and in the storeroom they find the game beyond the gates. Mm. And they begin to play it and they can't stop playing it until they finish because of an inherent supernatural power that belongs to it that they didn't really appreciate was part of dad's old magic really I think Mm -hmm. and um, the magic that happens is they put the VHS that comes with the board game into their video recorder and there's Barbara Crampton being this living breathing character as part of the board game which isn't playing like a VHS tape that I know. Yeah. And but I watched it and I was thinking I was like I've seen this before. Like it made me it felt dead familiar, which was like a weird experience and I don't know why that was because I've never seen it before. Mm-mm. Yeah, no, it, it it does have that sense of familiarity. Did you think the film I mean just before we go into the Rob Zombie bit, yeah, yeah. Do you think that, that I thought the film was as much I mean obviously the film itself was a homage to the kind of horror films that VHS gave birth to. Absolutely. The whole horror genre that came out of the 80s. But also, it was as much loving about the old mom and pop video stores before Blockbuster and the like made it all corporate. Absolutely. And that, that, my that, childhood was spent in those mom and pop video stores. Oh, me too. Exactly. And and, and actually, that, that sadness is kind of built into it. Oh, yeah. No, that's no, no. Part of what makes it so warm. Because, I mean... You'd expect it to be set in the 80s because of that sort of level of homage, but it's actually, it starts with um, the dad buying, mum and dad buying a um, a video store in like the early 90s. Mm. So it's like, oh, hang on a minute, you know, it's 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 on the way out. Yeah, it's, they were the end of the dream, weren't they? They were the end of the dream, exactly. So yeah. um, th- that's kind of maybe an underrated quality that gives it that extra ad- edge of sadness. Mm. Um, and I, I feel like sadness was a big theme at Fright Fest this year. But anyway, I need to get to the point. Basically, 31 clashed with a film called Bad Blood the Movie, which was made by one of Jackson's pals. And so he mentioned that, and I was like, well, you know, I can see I can see 31, you know, at Picture House Central at some point. You will. When will I be able to see this movie about a werefrog um, that's influenced by Henning Lotter and Stuart Gordon on the big screen. I'm going to go for that. 
However, I was extremely sad to miss 31, as much as I enjoyed Bad Blood, mm. the movie, um, because obviously the Fright Fest audience is the place to see that, that, that kind of movie. So when we met afterwards and I found out that you'd seen it, I mm. kind of leapt on you a little bit to, mm. to find out, and, and that's where our sort of Rob Zombie connection yeah, no, you, you, were the, you, were, you were one of two, mm. sort of, um, Martin Cuterio was, was wrote a lovely, lovely review mm. for Cineview, I think. Okay. Uh, wax and lyrical about 31, like I can't do, but I, I just did my positive vibe version of it. I mean, to me, it's, um, it's a gore version of Running Man in many senses. Mm. Um and because it's crowdfunded, he's playing to fans, and 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 like we discussed in the pub after your screening, it was it was the. Um, I think he's guilty of being famous for most film critics that have a go at him, or even horror fans. It's weird that horror fans have have it out for him because he's kind of on the genre side it's, of zombie. I don't, it's, I don't believe for one minute he's against the genre. It's absolutely bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre because. If you take it back to the first film, take it back to House of Thousand Corpses, mm. um, when that film was being made, I think there were two, maybe three, I think two, two Fangoria covers um, about you know the making of mm. House of Thousand Corpses. And I think the first one, um, in issue 219, the cover line is something like, finally, hardcore horror finally returned to proper horror because mm. forget that back then American horror was post 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 scream that was horrible it was it was atrocious so um, you know it was all on the teenagers mm. who gives a shit about the teenagers we want monsters um, and so the the you know, the audience was crying out so Fangoria finally hardcore horror you know they were so excited about this movie and then it comes out and, and, you know, maybe people expected too much. I, I don't know. I really have no idea what happened because I love House of Thousand Corpses. Like you say, it's a love letter to, to genre. It incorporates elements of the 30s stuff. You know, pretty much every decade of horror is yeah, represented no, in, in, yeah. in that film. Everyone says, oh, it's a Texas Chainsaw ripoff and structurally it's got those elements, but... You know, it, it uses that as a framework to lovingly nod to, you know, everything from, um, you know, F Todd Browning's Freaks to, you know, VHS Nazi n Nasties. I nearly said Nazis again, but um, <laughs> I mean, there are Nazis in it. But um, yeah, it, it the way it escalates, it's almost like it's traveling through time and building to, to Dr. Satan and, and all of that stuff. I was going to say, I mean, I, I, think, I think the... the um, if, if trying to be in kind of Desert Bowl, nowhere America is being a Texas Chainsaw rip-off, then that's a fairly light accusation to throw it, really, because content-wise, yeah. I don't think it was. I mean, no. aesthetically... It's got, it's got the frame, framework. It's got the, the kids going into this house with this yeah, fucked-up yeah, yeah. family and yeah. then one of them kind of gets away and, mm. you know, yeah. Um, it, it's, it's got that very basic thing. But like you say, there's so much more to it. Um, and it, it's often lumped in with um, with Hostel and Saw, um, mm. like which, when, is bananas. which is Bananas. Um, and, you know, Hostel came out in 2005. 
Saw came out in 2004. House of Thousand Corpses was 2003. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it changed horror it made horror nasty again Mm. and so i find it weird that it's got this reputation it's this terrible movie and then you've got the devil's rejects which everybody agrees pretty much is a masterpiece even the zombie haters are like oh yeah i I like devil's rejects i don't like the rest of them they don't know i I find it odd because it's weird you you use the word nasty because it's true that that's what he 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 excels in in a way Mm. and and I know he's a bit more cartoon as a filmmaker and as a famous person than someone like Winding Refn, but but he gets criticised for his content because it's imposed on him, as if to say he's responsible for the world we live in, right? And, and the things he's commenting on, whereas actually he's saying we live in a fucked world. And when yeah. you know the seventies might well have been the hippie dream era, mm. but it was also the era of of um, the Hillside Strangler and. And, well, uh, well, the, the the sixties ended with Manson, yeah, and 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 and, yes, and, yeah. and, 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 and that's on You know, these are these were very violent episodes, and 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 zombies clearly. I mean, zombies clearly interested in in, in Manson, and you know, there's, there's references throughout his work, um, and and he's clearly, you know, they say that. Um, I think it's twelve when you're twelve. Um, whatever's happening for you culturally at that time kind of stays with you forever um, and and you're always kind of looking back to that mm. age and so obviously he was um, it was the 70s for zombies so he, he always returns to that kind of stuff but but just to pick up on, on the nastiness element what's kind of fascinating is Devil's Reject is kind of an inversion of what happened with, with Evil Dead so with Evil Dead, the first one, hmm. you've got this straight-up horror film that's nasty as fuck, right? Yeah. It's, you know, it's it's scary. And then the second one is more still, you know, scary and nasty in places, but it's more of a cartoon. There's obvious places to laugh. Yeah, yeah. Whereas with House of Thousand Corpses, that's more of the cartoon. And then Devil's Rejects, that's the nasty one. And I kind of, in a way, prefer it that way around. Mm, no, I, I agree with you. Um, I think it's, it's like a sucker punch. It's yeah, like, well, you he, know. That, that, that build that's in The Thousand Corpses becomes an escalation when you yeah. when you see it transposed to Devil's Rejects. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I, I love Devil's Rejects. Halloween, we're going to go through all of them. Halloween, um, I'm, I'm not so much a fan of. I love the first half. The second half, not so much, and I think you know there were compromises made there, and you know I don't begrudge him. Like everyone, you know, how dare he remake Halloween? It's like, you know, I don't care about remakes. Um, but he's guilty. He's guilty. If anything, he's guilty of the fact that he said I'd never do a reboot. And so for a lot of people, it it wouldn't have mattered whether he'd done Citizen Kane of Horror at that point. The fact was he'd said, I won't do a remake, and then he basically took the Citizen Kane of the slasher subgenre. And remade it. I completely agree <laughs> with that. But at the end of the day, we're all human. And Zombie, in every interview before um, before Halloween was offered to him, used to talk about Halloween and how mm. much he loves Halloween. No, he did, you And right. at the end of the day, you know, if someone came to me and said, uh, we want you to remake Rosemary's Baby or something like that, I'd be like, fucking hell. Yes, please. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I, 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 like, I, it's not, I'm not, I'm saying that the, the narrative was, I, I, I think people I'm can arch, change their I, mind. I'm answering those people, not you. I, I know that you're... I, you, I, I want I, to clarify for those listeners. Yes, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm 
completely agree. Um, and Halloween 2, for me, it's probably my favourite of his films. Really? So I will suffer, you know, my misgivings about about the quality of Halloween, not not the idea of him making it, but the quality of the actual final product. Um, you know, I'll take that to get Halloween 2, which I absolutely love. I think mm. it's an amazing film. I think it's so underrated. Um you know, um, how, I know you watched it, or you I, revisited it. I revisited it after our conversation, yeah. after you'd had your film screened, because I kind of, it got lost in the midst of time for me. I kind of got it, watched it, and mm. it was, I, knew it was, I knew it was more experimental than, mm. than previous works. And it was, in fact, it was fascinating re-watching it to remember how little Sherry plays in it, because usually she... She is the centre of his of his work in mm. in the kind of bullshit kind of sexy, mm-hmm. femme fatale or whatever kind of character she gets to play. This is the the furthest removed from that person that he usually has a playing, and and it goes into the no. It, it cinematically it goes into the notions of what psychotic means exactly because it's sort of if you're psychotic, then your normal world is fueled by other influences that maybe you can't see. Exactly. So if you see the influences of what's... It's like almost like you go like, I'm doing violent things, i.e. Michael Myers, not me, Stuart Ryan. Michael Myers is doing violent things, and there's holograms that are in with me while I'm doing it. And I thought, re-watching it, I could, and it was obviously fueled by our conversation, Yeah. but it was a lot more clearer. I thought, I thought it was a lot... I remembered it being a messy film, and while it's a little bit disjointed in parts, it's actually it's actually quite quite a grim tale. In oh man, it's it's yeah, it's it's incredible. It's so there's there's a lot going on in it, but basically a lot of people complained that um, you know it's kind of an inversion of, of Halloween in that it started with this sequence that paid homage to Halloween two, and then you know. Um, that ends up being a dream sequence which everybody hates um you know everyone hates it when someone wakes up and oh it was all a dream they feel cheated but actually this wasn't cheating you at all because um i really wish people appreciated this film more but that opening dream sequence Mm. tells you so much about laurie um it's this is all in her head right it's dream psychology the film opens with a description of what the white horse symbolizes in dreams right Mm. so it's telling you which i completely forgot that it comes up and tells you on the screen when you mentioned it when we talked about it but then to see it kind of like i was like i think when i was i felt like i felt like smacking myself going why didn't you see this first time then so so the whole time we're in her head basically Mm. the whole film we're in her head yeah 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 um and so it's got that that amazing psychological aspect to it um, you've got her it's a final girl who's suffering PTSD so there's the dream element to it there's her behaviour you know how she's kind of you know people like oh you know she's been through this thing why she got Charlie Manson on her wall well when you've been through trauma you're drawn to that kind of darkness she also doesn't know what the PTSD is does she she's, exactly. she's trauma by something that's actually in a subconscious that's kind of waking up and the reality well, of waking up is well it's it's the combination it's yeah. the, it's the PTSD of the event itself but it's also her genetics so um it's the slow pursuit of genetics it's the fact that you know 
oh, I don't want to end up like my dad or, you know, I don't want to end up like my mum or whatever. Mm. Um, and and it, it, it's, it's that theme played out. And then she discovers, obviously, that she's related to Michael Myers. But it's there all along, you mm-hmm. know. It's, it's in her blood. And, and, and the way the film ends, again, I love a circular narrative, you know, it ties back to... To, to stuff in the previous film beautifully um, yeah I just I, I think it's 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 a really 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 clever film it's I guess much... the hard bit I suppose to, to, to go go with as it were with the film yeah is the notion that Laurie joins you know the full circle bit is that yeah. Laurie joins Michael yeah in his delusion yeah so you're having because it, it, weirdly there's a kind of weird segue but but there's there's been a couple of films over the last couple of years with, with Fright Fest. Last year it was They Look Like People. Mm. This year it's Man Underground, mm. where it's not a horror film in the hardcore sense, but what you have is a character who is mentally ill mm. and deluded by what they think the real world is, mm. and a friend who joins them in their delusion right. to help them through. Mm-hmm. And in a way, where Laurie ends up is with her kind of supernatural killer brother... Yeah, in, in the middle of his delusion, as, as it were, which but, is kind but, of crazy when I, now I'm even just saying it. But but is it is it his delusion or is it you know is it her delusion? Like how much of Halloween two is really Michael? How much of it is from Laurie's perspective? Well, the fact we keep seeing Michael the child would suggest to me it's Laurie's perspective. Yeah, but we we get the magnification, which is once you realise you're Michael Myers' sister. You, you, she, she must have seen the seven foot giant that yes. was killing at the end of yeah, Halloween one. Halloween one, exactly. But yeah, to just yeah, for Halloween two, completely separately, I just feel like it's pretty much from from her perspective. I think it's pretty much all from her mind's eye. Um, even the scenes where Michael's just you know off on his own. Um, that's pretty pretty extreme interpretation of it, but um, that's that's the one that I like. So what was I mean? One of the things we talked about, which was fascinating to me, when we were was was your he got criticised, didn't he, John, before the use of the the, the, the white horse yeah. clean thing, and you were saying that that's got that's got used to much more aplomb. Yes, in um, so in Hannibal, in, yeah, in 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 Brian Fuller's Hannibal, you've got the uh, the black stag. Mm. And that's another, uh, you know, project that that uses the psychology of dreams in a, a beautiful way. I think dream sequences are fine as long as they give you new information. And um, in in that show, you've got Will Graham, who is being, you know, he's receiving therapy from Hannibal, right? And uh, from his perspective, he can see a statue of a, a black stag just mm. just over Hannibal's uh, shoulder, and um, he has these dreams where this black stag is kind of stalking him and threatening him, and it's his subconscious trying to warn him that Hannibal is dangerous, even though he can't see it in the conscious world. Okay. His subconscious is trying to tell him watch out for this guy, but he never makes the connection. Um, so, whenever a dream sequence can reveal something whenever it's a subconscious trying to tell someone something I love it mm. and I feel like Halloween 2 has the the subconscious trying to say to Laurie you know you are this is your genetic destiny you know mm. 
you, you and this this guy are connected by more than just your blood. Um, and then obviously the film, I don't want to spoil it too much, but I feel like I've probably already done that enough, but the, the, fil- the film plays out that idea in a, in a really uh, interesting way. And I really wish we'd have gotten Halloween 3 to kind of complete it. I think it's complete, you know, as it is, but there was so much more he could have done with that. But it, felt, it felt like an end. It did feel like an end, it but felt I... Like I, an end. I, I mean, obviously, like all franchises, they can start up yeah. and do what they want, but at least as a as, as partner pieces. Yeah. No, no, it, it definitely, it, <clears throat> it's definitely a, a conclusion for sure, but I would have loved to have seen you know more of Laurie in a maybe mm. slightly different context I think that would have been very cool but um, the the other thing to say about Zombie um, just to stay on Halloween 2 just for a little bit longer is his gift for working with actors mm. um, that is now I think that Brad Dourif is one of the all time greats I think he's an incredible actor I love him that maybe Exist 3 is my favourite but Halloween 2 is really close to, to my favourite performance. He's the guy him. playing Dad. He's playing Dad. the sheriff, yeah. yeah. The sheriff, stepdad guy. And it's, you know, you're kind of used to him playing these, like, evil yeah. redneck, like... But he's so natural and so... It's a really warm, moving performance and, and that Zombie kind of saw that in him and, and, and gave him the opportunity to, to do that, I, I think, is pretty admirable and... One of the reasons I respect Zombie so much is he has that Tarantino thing of, you know, well, why would I use a new actor if I can use this actor who I've grown up watching, who I know is amazing, who doesn't really get as much work as they should? Um, so, yeah, um, that, that's another thing to love about Halloween I'm, 2. I'm, I'm, I'm distracting um, <laughs> because I'm looking, at, I'm looking at IMDb to look for the name of the bloody actor whose name escapes me. Because he's in 31 as well, and he's in Jeff Daniel Phillips. He only has a small role, yeah. he has a much bigger role in 31. Than yeah, yeah, yeah. Now. yeah. But he is a hell of a find, I think. Yeah. Oh. Is he in Westworld now, I think? Yeah. Well? I've not seen Westworld, I believe. I've not. No, I, I don't think it's not out yet, but. Um, but yeah, that's it. He, he's he's got that gift um, for, for for using these actors, and um, and actually, Malcolm McDowell said um he did again i think it's a fangoria interview when they were making halloween the first halloween he said that he'd put um zombie in the top five of directors he's worked with okay and uh you know and i think the interview i was spluttered a bit and said oh does that include stanley kubrick (laughs) and and mcdowell was like yeah I'd, i'd put him next to stanley kubrick you know no problem and so, unfortunately, I think maybe Rob read that interview and then The Lords of Salem was kind of the result of that. Um, and a lot of people think that that's his best film and love it and I'm, I'm not so big a fan. It, 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 it's definitely Kubrickian, but I don't really want that mm, coldness, that, you know, that distance from zombie. I love his films when they're grimy and... Oh, I, kind of, I quite enjoyed it. I know. I, 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 there's nothing wrong. You know, it's fine. It's just for me personally. And I I, think, I'm not saying it's a bad film either. But, but I think, I mean, you see, you went into it already with big love for Halloween too, and I think yeah. I kind of watched it and forgotten yeah. it and not really thought twice because I kind of, I think I went I went back to, almost back to back with his Halloween remake and two. I think two was out. Hmm. Just come out when I got one, so it wasn't like I didn't see them 
with the spaces between. So yeah. then there was a wait for people yeah. to sail them then. And um, <clears throat> no, I really enjoyed it because I love a, I love a good witch's coven. And uh, yeah, yeah. And he did it really well. And obviously, he got to play with pop culture with the music. He made the music explicit part of the story. Yeah, that. that and to it's you, definitely I, cool. You know. I think that's what I mean. I, I mean in thirty one, and 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 I'm I'm almost like bored of saying myself, but but the um, there's the opening sequence of thirty one mm. where he he. He he introduces us to this this evil clown character, and then he, all in monochrome, beautifully shot, and then it goes full color, desert bowl America. Mm. The carnies are mm. getting in the You got Sherry Moon, you got you know, all these mixed bunch of people. They want nothing more than just just to just to have a good time, mm. and he cuts it with Joe Walsh's Walk Away, mm. and it's just an amazing. That's brilliant. That's so. That's am- so him. Yeah, that's, and that's yeah. kind of what I want him to do. It's Definitely. Like you can see his riffing on it. Yeah. I mean, it was like... Um, I forgot the bloody name of it now. My mind's gone blank. The the music in Your Next that was always on the record. Yes. You know, it's there's something about that kind of power pop sound in America mm. that we didn't get in Britain. I mean, we do have people, you know, Joe, you know, people did make music. Yeah. Like that was influenced by it. But, but America has that kind of power pop rock sound. That's that's it. I mean, I, I one of my favourite sequences of all time in any film is the opening to Devil's Rejects with uh, with Midnight Rider and and the the the, the freeze frames and the zooms mm. and it's just so beautifully cut and it's together. Free bird, isn't it? yeah, it's, and Freebird at the end. Yeah, so yeah. It's, like a, it's a that's a hell of a bold. That's a bold book ending, isn't it? Really, yeah. Of your film with those two <laughs> iconic rock songs and put your this action. Is it, man. To it. And and like I just I. I, and this is why you know it's it's working with the the actors it it's um it's bringing together all of these different influences um and and paying homage to them in a really sincere way mm. and the use of the music that that makes me feel like he is the the horror tarantino and mm. and, and that he's not appreciated i mean he is appreciated by by people like us and actually um paul thomas anderson um when who was making There Will Be Blood was interviewed and they asked him about his like you know which he sees as a horror film There Will Be Blood and I wouldn't argue with them I wouldn't argue with them no either, I wouldn't no. argue with them at all I mean some of the uh, the film snobs might but um, but yeah they, he was asked about you know what what which of his peers does he really like and he said oh I love Rob Zombie he's like this you know <laughs> Really? Yeah, yeah. That must have thrown the silly ass the curveball on that. But that's the thing. I've interviewed. <laughs> I've interviewed Paul Thomas Anderson, and he is nothing if not sincere. Mm. He's very, you know, he doesn't give a shit. He'll just tell you what he thinks because mm. why wouldn't he? Because he's well, made yeah, yeah, yeah. every film's a masterpiece, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, So, so yeah, and and I think you know, I think his dad used to present like a late night, like horror you know some weird channel mm. he used to introduce horror films and i think right. there was an element of of the captain spaulding to to the stuff that his dad did maybe, oh, right, maybe. Okay. so i think may, you know you never know but i think maybe that's why there's that connection there but if paul thomas anderson says you're a good director you're a good director and that's the end of it nice one nice one well, let's segue in and bring it all full circle oh so, yes oh so so uh, <laughs> i'm nothing if not segue man um so, so Hell's Garden played at Fright Fest. 
It did. Have you got? Have you got anywhere where else it's showing? Have you got anything else on the horizon where people might be able to see it? Well, um, I'm waiting to. There's one more festival that um, that I'm waiting to hear back on. Don't tempt fate by telling us. No, I won't. I mean, because it's no meritocracy, is it? Not the old festival. Exactly. Like (laughs) it's literally like, you know, and and it's not necessarily here I'm making excuses before it's been rejected but it's not even necessarily based on the quality of the short it's it's based on um, how it plays in the programme or, or, or right. whatever it is and at the end of the day even if, if, if my film just plays right I submitted it to two festivals right. two festivals that, that, that I think are really really cool and I got into one of them, so mm-hmm. and, and I got a lovely reaction. So I'm I'm happy, but there's a chance it will get into this other festival. If it does, I'll I'll bang on about it on social media. Um, and I'm also talking with a um, a streaming service um, that it might go on to. Okay. And if it goes on to there, then I will bang on about that as well. Um, so then that, then it'll be available for people to watch. It'll be available for okay, people cool. to watch. Um, and so, yeah, it's all kind of a bit up in the air at the moment, but um, hopefully there'll be another chance for people to see it. And um, with regards to The Devil's Patient, it is being read by a very cool um, actress who I would love to play the lead. Um, so I'm currently waiting to hear back on that, and then um, we'll see where that goes. But, you know... You know what the film business is like. I it's, do. Uh, All things are crossed on the Netflix front for you. Then I, I think it's it, it's like I think it's what's the fact? It's something like one percent of people who want to direct get to direct. It's something like that. So um, you know, if I get to be part of that one percent, then that would be amazing. But you know, I'm glad, I, I, I'm glad I don't want to direct. I've, 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 I've done my short variable in me. Yeah, exactly. Obstacle in my way. Yeah, no, it's um, it, it's tough out there, but um, we'll see. But you know, I've done my short. Mm. I've gotten the lovely reaction, and so yeah, it's quite an amazing feeling. And if there's anyone out there who's uh, who's thinking they've got a film in them, um, do not do not be afraid. Find collaborators, talk to them about it, and uh, and go out there and make your film because um, it can be done. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes. Hey, what's, what's going on? If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we release it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to stream from on the website. This has been a Britflix Fright Fest preview podcast 2016. If you are listening to this podcast through iTunes and you've got five minutes to spare and you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave me a review and a comment. It will really help to publicise and promote the Britflix.com podcast and get more people to hear what you enjoy. Thank you.
for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina. 